Mockingbirds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 590. And if you're listening live on radio or online through TalkingBirds.com, happy Labor Day weekend. We don't usually talk about criminal cases here on Talking Birds, but our friends from the birding community e-bulletin have reminded us about the case of Mr. Trey Frederick, who admitted to shooting and killing two whooping cranes in East Texas. And they tell us that he will be sentenced this fall. His violation of the Endangered Species Act is punishable by a year, up to a year in prison, and or a $50,000 fine. The International Crane Foundation has asked that Frederick be sentenced to no less than a month in jail, at least a $15,000 fine, 300 hours of community service, and a revocation of his hunting license for at least five years. Lots of other groups have joined in similar comments. It's an issue that highlights the wide variation of potential sentencing in cases of whooping crane shooting deaths. In 2009, a poacher responsible for the shooting death of a whooping crane that was the mother of the first wild whooping crane chick hatched and fledged in the eastern U.S. in more than a century was fined one dollar. However, at the opposite end of the spectrum, in 2012, a man who shot a whooping crane from the wild population in South Dakota was fined $85,000, sentenced to 30 days in jail, given two years of probation, had his hunting privileges revoked for two years, and was ordered to provide community service. Stay tuned for updates on the story. And later in this morning's show, we'll talk about some better news concerning whooping cranes. Meanwhile, if you happen to be in central Wisconsin, whooping crane connection there, or in central Massachusetts or in Cape Cod, there's a bird-themed event for you this weekend or this coming week. On Cape Cod, the 13th annual Bird Carvers Show takes place next Saturday and Sunday, September 10th and 11th. It's a wonderful show. It features some of the top bird carvers in New England. It'll take place at the Greenbrier Nature Center in East Sandwich. Massachusetts. That's Saturday and Sunday, September 10th and 11th. In central Massachusetts, it's the Pow Wow Worcester International Mural Festival, continuing just through today, and including some striking interpretive bird murals by artist Arlen Graff. Info about it, powwowworcester.com. And thanks to Alan Dearborn for giving us the heads up on this. And as for central Wisconsin... Well, we'll find out about the festival going on there beginning on September 8th, thanks to a special guest who will join us here in a couple of minutes. We have another bonus prize state today, something pretty new here we've been doing. The state is Michigan. If you get through to our show first from that state here at our Mystery Bird Contest today, 
you'll win a special bonus prize automatically just for calling in. It's the Celestron National Park Foundation 3-in-1 device. A perfect companion if you're planning to do a little camping in a national park or any place else. It features a rechargeable power pack to charge up your phones and tablets and such, plus a 12-hour hand warmer and a multifunction LED flashlight. So if you're in Michigan and you're first to get to us here in this morning's Mystery Bird Contest, you'll win that special prize automatically in addition to that beautiful bird feeder that you might win. Good luck. Great Lakes Staters. Extra, extra, read all about it. Here are some of the stories and videos we have for you on our Facebook page this week. Birds fly faster when they fly in big flocks. Why is that? Researchers have a partial new answer for us. Another reason to be kind to wild birds. Stress hormones apparently turn birds into targets for mosquitoes. And a non-bird but conservation-related posting. Ominous music gives sharks a bad rap, hindering conservation efforts. Remember what we have for you on our Facebook page right now. You can also find those stories on an online search, probably if you're not a... Facebook follower. Best environmental news of the week. Just yesterday, September 3rd, President Obama announced that the U.S. would formally join a sweeping global emissions cutting accord reached last year, boosting efforts to bring the accord into effect by the end of this year. And he suggested that the Paris Agreement could well be remembered as, quote, the moment we finally decided to save our planet. End quote. Significantly, China's President Xi Jinping also formally ratified the accords on Saturday. That means China and the U.S., which together produce nearly 40 percent of the world's greenhouse gases, are now officially part of the landmark agreement negotiated by 195 nations in Paris last year. Still to come on our show today, we'll attempt to help a Talking Birds listener whose hummingbird feeders are being taken over by... Woodpeckers. Our man Mike O'Connor from the Bird Watchers General Store on Cape Cod will attempt to offer a solution. Plus, we'll head for the shore to find today's mystery bird. And in a moment, we'll meet the bull bat. It's today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Talking Birds is made possible in part by Celestron, a leading optics company offering binoculars and spotting scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron is dedicated to education and bird conservation and proudly supports many nonprofit organizations that share the same commitment. Celestron says we care about birds and nature in our backyard as well as yours. Enhance your view with Celestron. Visit Celestron.com and discover more. Quoted from Time Magazine, January 1947. The cool of the evening. In South Carolina, when the sun sets and the day's work is done, when the restless dust starts to settle back on the cotton fields, men gather on verandas and wharves to sit and talk while they watch the bull bats nervously darting and swooping around the chimneys. Bourbon with water from the branches in order and low-voiced, scattered talk of high politics. Such a talk Jimmy Burns calls 
a bull bat session. Yeah, but what's a bull bat? Well, if it darts and swoops around chimneys, it must be a bird or a bat. The American Heritage Dictionary says it's called a bull bat because of the roaring sound of its flight. And the Cornell Lab of Ornithology says its white wing patches and erratic flight make it look like a big bat with headlights. Up in the city, we look or mostly listen for the bull bat to arrive in late spring. We hear it over the rooftops, making this sound. And with straining eyes against the background of dusk when it begins its rounds, we see it careening and swooping through the sky as it catches insects over the town before settling down at dawn to sleep away the day on a flat gravel roof. The bull bat is a bird. It's the common nighthawk. As described by Cornell's All About Birds, the male common nighthawk uses a dramatic booming display during the breeding season, flying around at a moderate height, then diving straight toward the ground. At the bottom of the dive, he flexes his wings downward, and the air rushing through his wingtips makes a deep booming sound. As just a few feet from the ground, he reverses direction and flies upward. The dives are directed at females, young nighthawks, and intruders, including people who happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. The common nighthawk is a medium-sized bird about nine inches long with a less than two-foot wingspan. It has a large head with a tiny bill that hides a very large mouth that opens wide to capture flying insects. It's well camouflaged in browns, black, and gray, and in flight, look for long, pointed, bent wings with those white patches, or headlights, near the tip. Here it comes again, so take cover. It may be small, but it's fierce. It's today's featured feathered friend, the common nighthawk, a.k.a. the bull bat. Yeah, by the way, here in southern New England, we're getting lots of reports of uh, some pretty big flocks of common nighthawks migrating south. Thanks for being with us, and we hope you'll follow us on our website, TalkinBirds.com, or visit our website and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talkin' Birds. Talkin' Birds is sponsored in part by Chimani, providing free outdoor mobile app travel guides to plan and navigate your journey to more than 400 national parks, monuments, and historic sites. From Acadia to Zion, go to Chimani.com. That's C-H-I-M-A-N-I.com to download your free app today. Well, back to the topic of whooping cranes. The tallest birds in North America, as much as five feet tall, a bird species that has been in danger of disappearance for a very long time, but that is continuing to make progress thanks to a number of great organizations and a lot of good people trying to stabilize and increase their populations. One group that has been playing a major role in all of this for a couple of decades now is Operation Migration, best known probably for their having used ultralight aircraft to lead captive-hatched, imprinted whooping cranes on planned migration routes. Tell us about their work and give us an idea of the status of this iconic bird is Heather Ray, Director of Development for Operation Migration. Good morning, Heather. Good morning, Ray. How are you? 
I'm well, thank you. Great to have you with us. And Heather, Operation Migration has a pretty amazing history. So a lot of innovation going on there. Ideas like surrogate parents and those ultralight aircraft and radio telemetry, all with the goal of reintroducing endangered whooping cranes into eastern North America. Give us a bit of that history, if you would. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's been going on for almost a couple of decades. Um, Bill Lishman and Joe Duff actually formed the organization back in 1994 um, when they found out that they could imprint and guide Canada geese mm-hmm. on a migration route and have the geese return the following spring. Um, the first couple of times, the geese actually tried to get into the barn where they had the incubators and where they first hatched. Mm-hmm. So um, that definitely proved that it, it could could work. Um, at the time, there was a small documentary, maybe a 20-minute documentary, called Come On Geese, uh, that was um, produced. That was shown at the Oshkosh Air Venture Air Show one year, and it was seen by a, a fellow named Terry Kohler from Wisconsin, who had been making flights up to uh, Alaska to pick up swan eggs for a reintroduction going on here in, in central Wisconsin with trumpeter swans. And he took the film to a fellow named George Archibald at the International Crane Foundation. He's the co-founder of that great organization. And the two of them wondered if it could be used, the technique of the aircraft could be used to perhaps uh, restore population of migratory whooping cranes uh, east of the Mississippi River, specifically Wisconsin, where they had been extirpated from in uh, about the 1870s. So that's how it kind of all started. Um, the geese were sort of a stepping stone, if you will. We then worked with sandhill cranes and trumpeter swans as a precursor to whooping cranes. Uh, as you can well imagine, you can't go to the U.S. government and say, okay, here's the deal. We're going to take these little aircraft and we're going to put on costumes and then we're going to carry puppets and we're going to leave the most endangered bird in North America across the country. They don't really go for it until you prove it. Mm-hmm. So we used uh, sandhill cranes, of course, non-endangered cousins of the whooping cranes to prove that the technique could work and had merit. Mm-hmm. And we got their blessing in 2001, and that's when the reintroduction began, was in 2001. Pretty amazing stuff. And back in the 1940s, I think, uh, what, the crane population, whooping crane, down to, what, 15 individuals or something like that? Well, the migratory population was down to 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the naturally occurring migratory flock that... Um, summers at Wood Buffalo National Park in Canada, and then winters, of course, on the Gulf Coast of Texas. There was another very small population containing six birds that were non-migratory and that inhabited the uh, coastal marshes of Louisiana. A hurricane wiped those birds out, I believe, in 1944-45. So that, of course, left the only uh, migratory population between Texas and Canada. Wow. So this bird came as close as you can get to you know, going over the brink of extinction as you can possibly get. I guess so. And this is so interesting, too, this evolution of of techniques, uh, Heather. The ultralight method, there was something called direct autumn release method. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now now it's the parent rearing method. Can you kind of trace that little evolution and where we are now with uh, how it's working or what you're doing? Sure. The reintroduction, as I mentioned, began in 2001 by the Whooping Crane Eastern Partnership. And as as you know, we had the reintroduction method with the aircraft, but we can't do it on our own. So we needed partners to do this. So there were nine partners that came together and formed the Whooping Crane Eastern Partnership. Um, We began using the ultralight 2001 until 2005. And then at that point, the direct autumn release method came on board. That was carried out by the International Crane Foundation based here in Baraboo, Wisconsin. And basically at the 2005 mark, there were enough whooping cranes that were migrating south and then north on their own that we could then take birds that were raised by costumes still and puppets 
and release them with um, known migrators, experienced migrators in the flock in the hopes that they would guide them south mm-hmm. and then north again. And that, that did work to some degree. We can carry, carry it on until 2015. There's now 100 birds in the population. So the population has reached a point where there are enough birds that are migrating back and forth now enter the parent-reared method. So these birds are being raised by real whooping cranes from the time they hatch. They don't see costumes. They don't see costume people. They don't see puppets. They see parents. And the hope is that um, when these birds reach breeding age, they're going to be more experienced at um, raising their own chicks because they themselves were raised by wild whooping cranes or mm-hmm. whooping cranes in captivity, but whooping cranes in general. And what, they, what they've noticed over the years is that the bond of parent to chick at a very young age, they have beak-to-beak contact as many as 200 times an hour, which is pretty mm. frequent when you think about that. Mm. It could be offering the chick food. It could be just a nurturing thing. We don't know, but with, when the costumes and puppets raise chicks, we don't have that kind of contact with them. We don't have that innate ability to communicate with a chick as well as a, a parent bird would. Mm-hmm. So we're hoping that once these birds reach breeding age, they'll be better parents than, than the birds that are out there now. We've had some success with breeding, but not as much as we want. So we're hoping to improve the breeding success of the population now. Well, all these challenges for these birds from black flies to other humans, it's tough enough with all the natural challenges, but we mentioned at the beginning of the show about this a uh, case where someone is going to be sentenced this fall for shooting uh, a whooping crane and uh, the International Crane Foundation suggesting what the sentence might be as well as other organizations. Well, what's your take on that, Heather? Well, I mean, something needs to be done to curtail these shootings. In our population alone, in the eastern migratory flock, we've we've determined that about 20% of the population has been shot. Oh. Um, whether it's mistaken identity, whether that's just a good excuse when they get in the court system, who knows. But the bottom line is a five-foot-tall, stark white bird. It, they stick out like a sore thumb on the landscape. Mm-hmm. Just because it's there doesn't mean you have to shoot it. Um, these birds that unfortunately were shot in um, eastern Texas were part of the Louisiana Non-Migratory Project. And they're fairly young birds, of course, as you can imagine, when you're young and a bird you're not of breeding is you don't have a territory to defend, they tend to wander around a little bit. And there were three birds that actually wandered into eastern Texas and were in great habitat. Uh, in this particular case, you're talking of with Mr. Uh, Joseph, or Trey Joseph Frederick, the young man who deliberately shot them and admitted to deliberately shooting them. So we're hoping that there's a stiff um, sentence handed down to him that will set an example for other people with uh, access to rifles, um, we're not targeting hunters here. Hunters are not responsible for this, mm-hmm. these crimes. I mean, hunters are, you know, they're responsible. They know how to identify a bird, um, and they're ethical, and, and they have morals and values. This young man just wanted to go out and, and shoot whooping cranes. He knew they were they were. He had bragged to a friend uh, beforehand that he was mm-hmm. going to do it. Um, so we think it's a horrible, and, and something needs to be done to deter other people from going out and doing the same thing. We only have a minute left, uh, Heather, but uh, we have a something a bright note here about the festival that's going on uh, starting next week. Give us a quick overview, if you could, about uh, about the Whooping Crane Festival in Wisconsin. Okay, well, it's an annual event. It's taking place in Princeton, Wisconsin. It starts this Thursday. 
um, with the Whooper Welcome. And then Friday, we've got, she got a tour at the International Crane Foundation. We've got a number of folks that are going to head down for that. We've got a dinner on Friday night. The all-day festival takes place on Saturday. There's activities for children. There's activities for seniors. There's activities for everybody in between. Um, there's actually whooping cranes about four miles north of the town of Princeton that you can go out and see. They're in the wild. They're birds that uh, we had led south with the ultralights, and they have decided to spend their summers here, so this is their territory. And we're hoping next year they'll actually begin breeding. They've now got female partners. There's two pairs on the marsh. Um, so it's a, it's a great event. Um, we hope everybody can come on out and, and join us. And more info about it at operationmigration.org, right? That's correct, yes. Right. You can find information on our homepage. Heather Ray, Director of Development for Operation Migration. Heather, thank you so much. Keep up the good work and have a great festival. Thanks for having me, Ray. I appreciate it. Coming up next here, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. If you've listened to Talking Birds over the past several weeks, you may have heard us talking about our upcoming trip to the Galapagos Islands. And guess what? The guest list is now almost full. So if you'd like to join us, and we hope you will, the time to sign up is now. We'll travel with our friends from Sunrise Birding, one of the world's finest small group touring companies. I'll be your host for the trip to this truly amazing place where we'll get up close to giant Galapagos tortoises and marine iguanas and spectacular bird species, including Darwin's famous finches, and we'll even snorkel with Galapagos penguins. We'll be led by expert local guides, and we'll cruise in comfort aboard a custom-designed first-class yacht. Sound good? Well, don't hesitate. There are just a few cabins still available. We'll visit places and see things that most other tour groups simply don't see. Get all the details right now at sunrisebirding.com. That's sunrisebirding.com. On our Mystery Bird Contest, uh, we have a bonus state, Michigan. If you call from there first, you'll win that beautiful Celestron 3-in-1 device. Identify our mystery bird from anywhere and win this beautiful Droll Yankees bottoms-up 15-inch finch feeder, perfect for, for uh, feeding birds like goldfinches that will feed upside down, but not so good for other less desirable birds that can't do that. 781-837-4900 is our number, and here's our mystery bird. It's a medium-sized shorebird with a short neck and bill, a large rounded head moderately long legs, and in breeding plumage, a black and golden yellow back with a black face, neck, and belly. Our bird feeds by probing for invertebrates and also eats small mollusks, crustaceans, and berries. That's our bird. What's, uh, what's the ID? Tell us what it is or take a guess because no correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. And we're, we're shorter on time even than usual, so... Call us right away with your guest if you can, your guests if you can at 781-837-4900, 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, let's ask Mike live in just one minute. There's a crisis facing us today that reaches far beyond borders or boundaries. It's our planet, and it's in trouble. Scientists estimate that climate change will increasingly alter our planet and many of our land and water resources will be at risk. Without them, we could lose many of the natural habitats that support life on Earth. Not only will numerous plant and animal species disappear, but the quality of life, for all of us, will never be the same. What scientists haven't calculated is the power of the human will 
to work together to save the future of our natural world and all of its inhabitants. If you're ready to make a difference at last, to help protect nature and preserve life, visit the Nature Conservancy at nature.org today. That's nature.org today. Now a man who makes a difference for his customers every day at the Birdwatchers General Store on Cape Cod, Mr. Mike O'Connor. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning, Ray. Good morning, good morning. Getting I, ready? Yeah. Go ahead. You, you, you talk for us. I'm the, first? All right. <laughs> oh, you're getting ready for a storm down there. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. We just... I just I just buried all my money, so it'll be safe. <laughs> all right, we'll come down and see if we can get the map from you. <laughs> hey, Mike, we received a message from Janice in Halifax, Massachusetts, saying, and I quote, How do we stop woodpeckers from feeding at our hummingbird feeders? They hang off the feeder and drink. Oh. Wow, woodpeckers are supposed to peck wood, aren't they? Yeah, I think to... you just need yeah. better labeling. Just label that as a hummingbird feeder. Yeah. You know, it's funny, people get a, a, a surprise at this, and I kind of was at the beginning, but then when you think about it, the original sweet eater, the sapsucker, is a woodpecker. So they're kind mm-hmm. of they're, they're predisposed to eating sweet things. Mm-hmm. So it's not, it's not that big a deal. What I suggest is try to find a, a feeder without perches, um, there's one, an old Massachusetts company is now defunct, but the feeders are still out there called Opus, the Opus number 447. They didn't have any perches. It was like a glass teardrop, hmm. and the birds would hover. They wouldn't land to get to the nectar, and there's really no place for the, um, the woodpecker to land. Also, um, your company, Drill Yankees, they, they, make, they have nectar guards available for their hummingbird feeders, hmm. which the hummingbird has to put its beak through this guard. Really, it's not a bee guard. It's a little tiny guard that, hmm. do, that w- would keep the tongue of the woodpecker away. Huh. So you, you could try one of those. But my advice would be to get a second feeder. Let the, let the, humming, uh, let the woodpeckers continue, this Halifax person, let the uh, humming, woodpecker continue on the feeder and get a secondary one, more difficult one, mm. for the hummingbirds okay. and keep them both coming because they're both interesting birds. That's what I say. All right. Short and sweet advice. <laughs> okay. Mike Thank you, Mike. the storm, Ray. I'll see you next week. All right. Hang in there. Okay. Don't forget that map. I want to <laughs> Back to the mystery bird contest. We are trying to identify this mystery bird. A medium-sized shorebird with a short neck and bill, a large rounded head, moderately long legs, and a breeding plumage, a black and golden yellow back with a black face, neck, and belly. Our bird feeds by probing for invertebrates and also eats small mollusks, crustaceans, and berries. What is our mystery bird? 781-837-4900 is the number. 781-837-4900. Our prize is that Droll Yankees Bird Lovers Bottoms Up 15-inch Finch Feeder. And uh, 781-837-4900. Let's uh, go to Seth. He's up there in Biddeford, Maine. Good morning, Seth. Good morning. How are things up there in Biddeford? Oh, very nice today, yeah. A beautiful place it is in the great state of Maine. So, uh, Seth, what do you think on our mystery bird contest here? Uh, well, I'm not 100% sure, mm-hmm. but I'm going to go with American Golden Clover. You know, for somebody who wasn't too sure, that was pretty good. All right. <laughs> American Golden Clover. You pronounce it plover. Some people call it plover. Yeah, plover. Yeah. Is that a Maine pronunciation, or is I don't know if that is or... Or not. I hear it from a lot of people in different places, though. Yeah, I'm not sure. And, you know, tr- truthfully, I'm not a, a true Mainer, so... That explains it. You, you want to uh, admit where you're really from? 
Uh, yeah, I grew up in uh, Oregon, actually. In Oregon, all right. Yeah. Another great state in the kind of the western equivalent of Maine, in the, in some ways, I suppose. Right, right. The same got those rocky shores out there. Yeah. All right, Seth. Uh, congratulations, you are the winner. American Golden Plover or Plover is the answer, and uh, nice going. Stay on the phone, uh, Seth. We'll get your address and all that, and send you that Droll Yankees feeder. Sounds great. Thanks. Thank you, Seth. American Golden Plover, Plover. <laughs> Our mystery bird. Well, we're out of time for this morning's show. Over the next couple of Sundays, we'll be broadcasting Talking Birds from an NP and then from the UP. Translation, next week we'll do our show live from the Hopi platform at Grand Canyon National Park in Arizona. Then on the 11th of September, that's on the 11th, the following week we'll present Talking Birds live from Michigan's eastern upper peninsula. We'll announce uh, more details on that location on next week's show. And before that, on our website, along with Facebook and Twitter. In any case, we hope you'll be with us listening on the radio or online or in person at one or both of those wonderful locations. Executive producer of Talking Birds, Mark Duffield. Associate producer, Debbie Bleacher. Our engineer, Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. <laughs> Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. For Lean's Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean, inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron, offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans, shade-grown, bird-friendly coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com.